Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. Well, welcome to the broadcast. We have an amazing class taught by Dr. Stevens about spiritual and moral ethics. Every nation, every national entity is driven and determined by the, the moral and spiritual ethics of its people. Here we're going to get great definition in this class. It's the month of August, and that means that Bible College will be starting up at the end of the month. I challenge anyone listening to this broadcast to pray about whether it's God's will and really listen for the voice of God to speak to you about whether you should enroll in a Bible College class. Uh, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you have much experience in life or you're just getting going, whether you have a young family or you're a single person. Bible College teaches you how to think with God and is incredibly vital. So please pray about that and enjoy this message, and then afterwards we'll have a devotional message about maturity. Christian ethics is quite a subject, and it's a tremendous theme. What is Christian ethics? Well, if I should ask you what Christian ethics is, I perhaps would get some very interesting, profitable, and diverse answers. What is Christian ethics and how does it compare to human ethics? Well, the first thing about moral ethics, which certainly are very important, is that moral ethics requires that a person honor the free volition of every individual, that they make right decisions in protecting people from their wrong decisions. In other words, if a man covets his neighbor's wife, he not only is hurting himself before God, but he's also taking away something that is his neighbor's. He's affecting the children. He's affecting his his life, her life, and the children's life, and most of all, God and Christianity. And therefore, he is violating the tremendous investment that God's institution of marriage and family has made into divine establishment. Moral ethics is we pay our bills. We work hard. We are disciplined. We, we live in the honor code of responsibility and the honor code of reality and the honor code of response and the honor code of simply contributing to our country, to our family, and to the extended family which goes beyond our own. Now, moral ethics is something that is obviously violated wholesale in this country because our educational institutions, as we recently mentioned, do not diligently educate the subjects with any type of moral correspondence to educational truth. Educational truth, in its premise, has amazing moral correspondence. Let me illustrate it. When the pilgrims landed in this country, when the Puritans worked so diligently to be free 
from taxation without representation from the mother country when these things happen a great definition was given in all the educational institutions as they were formed in their early stages one tremendous premise in moral ethics to the educational institution of that time was that in order to be properly educated to develop your capacity to develop your potential to develop your intellect also meant to develop your emotions to develop your soul and to develop your moral capacity to help mankind but that part of developing moral capacity in its significant meaning as it was intended then has been totally depreciated in the educational structure of our foundation of truth secondly it was defined this pertaining to the free press not only would the free press enjoy the privilege of being protected by the first amendment the freedom of speech the freedom to censor the freedom to differ and the freedom to criticize but also there was a moral law which they could not report anything unless they totally and completely had information on the integrity and character of the sources the original premise for moral correspondence to truth in reporting in the free press now you think that over for just a moment you don't have to think too long as a matter of fact if you have a problem thinking you can get this one but you think it over you could not report on any subject of controversy where differences were purported unless you thoroughly had investigated the character the motives as best you could and the source of all the people that you would use in application of your reporting now how many people would that eliminate today it would certainly do quite a job of taking away many many articles in the Washington Post the New York Times the Chicago Tribune and the Baltimore Sun but uh, you see but moral ethics has been taken out of the core of journalism in many cases certainly not in all cases but in many cases moral ethics has been taken out of the core of journalism and journalism that does not investigate the source or sources as to the integrity and ability of facts that these individuals have then what you have is the press becoming god and destroying individuals if they can organizations and in some cases big businesses and while we thank god 
and forever will for our free press and we would do anything to protect his right to remain free we would like to get back into moral ethics to go along with the corresponding freedom which should be theirs but also those people that they write about should be protected by the moral ethics of the original integrity and essence of true journalism now let's take for example before we get into the themes moral ethics in marriage moral ethics in the individual development of an individual in a family the moral ethics of the head of the house the moral ethics of the responder see we're not even getting into spiritual ethics yet and remember morality always sustains national entity even if it doesn't save our soul now then moral ethics between a couple means that in our society not only should a husband and wife be faithful to their partner in relationship to sex but they should be faithful in every other realm a moral husband will be faithful to protect his wife's emotions as best he can her health providing for her security and of course if he's a christian he'll be extremely faithful providing for her spiritually on the other hand he will not lord it over her he will encourage the development of her capacity as an individual to contribute and to make the home a place of exchange of interaction of communication and certainly inspiration in every facet of living now often people are called moral because they don't live in overt sins or they're not alcoholics and they are not living in moral ethics for example a man that goes home every night never hardly speaks to his family and gets tired and watches TV all night or reads or, does, or just goes to sleep but he never gets in any serious overt problems he's not functioning and operating in moral ethics because his wife could have married a mannequin <laughs> and put a tape recorder pressed a button for some interaction with pauses in between many marriages have dissipated and deteriorated into the lowest ebb of happiness and joy because of a lack of moral ethics the fellow said he said i was sick i was tired i was exhausted i was couldn't hardly walk and so he said even though i couldn't talk and i couldn't walk i whispered and said hi i love you to his wife that wasn't too exciting but at least he tried to practice a living ethics in his relationship with her now moral ethics in friendships there's seldom there the moral ethics as described in the book of proverbs in friendships they are seldom there 
being true. You see, false religions have counterfeited do unto others as you wish they would do unto you. That is a principle in a works program for those that are, understand moral ethics. Now, God says the same thing in Matthew 7.12, but he teaches it through a grace program, through a life operation, through a love motivation, through a faith inspiration, through a hope anticipation. He does it much differently. We said this morning on, on the radio that the eternal word is the word that is the incarnate word, and that, that's the word which becomes the living word, which is the written word, which becomes the engrafted word, which becomes the experiential word, which becomes the responsive word, which becomes the word of praise, which becomes the word of conviction, which becomes the word of conversion, which becomes the word of communion, which becomes the word of communication, and which becomes the word of conforming to Christ. Now, can you get all that and give it back to me and memorize it just like I did to you? Now, the Word of God transforms a person's moral ethics into spiritual ethics. Now, what's the difference between moral ethics and spiritual ethics? Moral ethics is required to live at least on the basis of an eye for an eye. All right? Tooth for tooth. Moral ethics is required to live that way in order to keep national establishment prospering in its national entity. Spiritual ethics, obviously, centered in Jesus Christ's vicarious atonement, in Jesus Christ's redeeming death, defined by his love for his enemies, by his death for his enemies, and by his provision of grace to save those that believe, spiritual ethics goes beyond the material, goes beyond the physical, goes beyond the natural, and brings in the preternatural, the supernatural, and it brings in Jesus Christ's supernatural disposition in operation in behalf of man toward the justice of God. Spiritual ethics mean I treat you the same way when you treat me miserably. And that's the difference. In other words, uh, actually in spiritual ethics, people will, will be able to respond in love to those who consistently treat them with an amazing attitude of resentment and hatred and unkindness. So, in this book, at times, there will be moral ethics cited. And a lot of people have had that confused in the book of Proverbs. It's just like 
somebody said to me the other day, they were quoting from Ecclesiastes, and they said, there's a time to eat, there's a time to drink, there's a time to dance, and there's a time to die, and so forth. There's a time to go, and that's true. That is true. And of course, all of those things do take place, but the truth is that the man that wrote that in that particular chapter wasn't writing it in favor of... Uh, the truth of it he was writing it because to him it was all vanity uh, to go through that cycle and he was expressing the emptiness of that cycle so if I should say well it's time to dance I'm going to go to a dance tonight with the lights down low and have a few and and, uh, and so he said what are you doing here and I said well it's time to dance <laughs> Fellow getting ready to commit suicide and say, now, please don't do it. Don't jump off that 20th floor. Please, I'll do anything to stop you from doing it except doing it with you. <laughs> and he said, but it's time to die. <laughs> sure it is. You see, it's so easy in Proverbs to take passages that are good passages that will sustain national identity and national establishment. But it's so easy to take those passages and think that it's all spiritual ethics. It isn't. It's a book that provides for personal liberation in spiritual ethics and it relates often to what is needed to sustain a nation in moral ethics. And of course, we cannot have spiritual ethics without always experiencing the all-inclusive principle of moral ethics. Now, spiritual ethics, starting at verse 20. Hear counsel, receive instruction, that thou mayest be wise in the latter end. Hear counsel. Say it back to me. Hear counsel. Say it again. Hear counsel. Now, in Isaiah 46, 10b, God says, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all of my pleasure. God's counsel shall stand. God's counsel shall stand. He will do all of his good pleasure. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com. Genesis 17.1 and, Ab- and when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him. Now, this, this is an amazing verse, that you can really see this verse 
several different ways. Now, listen what's said here. He said, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. This can be taught through the eyes of the natural man. What, when someone says, I am strong, I am stronger than you. No, I am even stronger than stronger than you. I have absolute power over you. Walk before me, and don't you dare make a mistake. Be perfect. I am almighty. Now walk before me and be perfect, and I will give you these things. Now God is perfect. God is almighty. Man is fallen. And there is a tendency that darkness does not want to approach the light, is afraid of the light. When the children of Israel came before Mount Sinai, that's pretty much what they thought. Here's this mountain that's on fire. There's thunder. There's lightning. And God says, if anybody goes there, they're going to die. They were thinking, here's the boss. We failed. We haven't been perfect. And we don't dare walk before him. Or if we do, we better do it on tiptoes. But, but that's not... But God's heart in this situation was not that. And it's through a revelation of the Holy Spirit that we see that, really. That God is... He is the Almighty God. And that whole idea, walk before me, when you walk before someone, it means come over here. I am the Almighty God. Come before me. Walk before me. Approach me. And that word perfect really means mature. Saying, you've lived your whole life. You've lived 99 years. In the natural, you're about as mature as you're going to get. But you're not mature. But you, you know what? I have the power to make you mature. I have the power that if you walk before me, and you look me in the face, and we walk together, and we talk together, then you will be perfect. I will make sure of it. I have the power to make you perfect. And then after that, there's a promise given that he's going to have a child, and all of these things happen right after that. Because God's power, God's almighty power, is not there as a rod held over our heads. God's almighty power is there as a comfort to us to know that when we're at our wit's end, that God can still do what he needs to do. He can still accomplish things in our life. When it looks like we've reached the end of what we can do, God can still change us. God can still change the situation. He has the power to do that. And he wants to do that. One more verse. And this is in Deuteronomy 33:27. Let's start in 26. There is none like unto the God of Jerusalem, who rideth upon the heaven in thy help, and in his excellency on the sky. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall destroy them. Now this is an amazing, comfortable, comforting verse that underneath are the everlasting arms. 
that the Almighty God is also the Eternal God. The Eternal God. And His arms are always beneath us. And no matter what our situation, there is no one that we have a relationship with, that we have a relationship like with God. Because there are many people we can depend on who at times have their arms outraised and, and say, I'm here to catch you when you fall. When you're a, maybe when you're a little child, your parents were there. And they were there to catch you and when you fall. And when you scraped your knee, they came and they kissed it and they blew on it and they, and they did all those things. And they were there to comfort you. God says, I am the eternal God and outstretched to my everlasting arms. And whether you are young, whether you are a little baby or a child, my arms are there. Whether you're old, whether you're 99 years old, like for Abram, God's arms were there to catch him. They were underneath him, holding him up. We have a tremendous privilege that these are just two of the names of God. Almighty, eternal. These are, that is his name. This is his, that is who he is. There are many more names of God dozens more in this book and because of the Holy Spirit within us that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit the intimacy of our relationship with God from day to day can be so intense that God as he was to Abraham as he was to David as he was to Moses as he was to Paul as he was to Peter as he is to us and he's there and he wants to meet us when we've reached our end the end of our capacity he wants to meet us and do a miracle there when we fall he wants to meet he's already there waiting to meet us so if it happens his arms are outstretched to pick us back up again even if we fall in a way that it seems like there's no way we can get up again with God, there is a way. There is a way. There is always a way. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com Thank you, God. Thank you that your name is Almighty. You're almighty. And you're almighty in transformation of us. You're almighty in divine reversal. You're almighty. That when we walk before you, we talk to you, that you do something in us, you change us, and we live a transformed life. All we have to do is present our bodies again as a living sacrifice to you again and there you are waiting to do miracles in our lives God remind us of that when times get dark Lord we pray that this word would spring into our minds and we give these words out to people who are in dark times God just do that somehow in spite of our personality or whatever we may think just let the words spring out of our lips, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.